I've done some working out in the past, and it was like back and bias, chest and tries, and sometimes you could do legs, cardio, you know. But if you're doing weightlifting, that, that is a cardio workout, you know. They I think they classify that as a cardio. So I don't know. I need to do something. I just uh, uh, I'm bad with I'm bad with those types of resolutions, you know. Because but I know it would make a tremendous impact on my sleep, my respiratory, my circulation. Probably my brain function will increase because you're getting increased oxygen oxygen yeah. to your brain. Yeah, I need to do it. I know it's a huge difference. So I just need to dive off, you know, and, and go for it. I think it'd be cool though if I could get up and be there at like 7:30 and then swim to like 8:15, 8:30, and then get over here. And yeah, but if I do that, I need to do it first thing in the morning because if I don't, my day's got away from me. You know. So we're talking about working out. Ugh, one of those things, right? I know I need to do it though, you know, because like I've had some male relatives that the older they get, the more focused they are on working out. Like my uncle Lawrence, I used to go to Walmart. Well, I used to work at Walmart, but you see me in the morning just running tracks around Walmart. You ever see people doing that? You know, they're walking in Walmart because it's like a, you know, it's kind of like people walking to the mall and they do that. And my dad's a big workout person now. He goes uh, pretty frequently, at least three or four days a week, he'll go to the gym and work out. And, Talks about how awesome it is. I'm like, sounds great, Dad. You know, yeah. <laughs> sounds awesome, man. Yeah, you go do that. You know, I kid, but I, I really do. I, I know, like, I need to do it. So, what's going on? What's new and exciting? I like your Mario hat, Sean. Very cool. Very cool. Very posh. Yeah, I saw a T-shirt online. It was a Gucci T-shirt, just a regular T-shirt that had Gucci on it. And it was on the Gucci website, $480 they wanted for this T-shirt. Yeah, how crazy is that? That's pretty ridiculous, yeah. I see you've got a Yeti sticker on your computer. Do you like the Yeti brand? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Do you own a Yeti cup? I do. Do you own a Yeti cooler? I don't. You don't, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get a Yeti cooler, but, like, something inside of me is thinking, why am I doing this? Like, why why am I spending three hundred dollars on a cooler? You know, like, so I ended up getting a Coleman like Yeti like cooler. You know, it's like a third of the price. It does okay. It's all right. So, yeah, I don't know what it is about Yeti. That's a cool cool brand. You know, so yeah, I like to go watch check them out at Dwayne's. You work at the Anna Nicole though, or the, what is? Yeah, okay, gotcha. All right. So what else is going on? Not exciting. No news. I like news. Mm -hmm. Trying to think what's going on in the world. Uh, it's been happening over the past few days. Oh man. Oh, Go. I know. I saw it last night. It is sad. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I, I've been following the story for a while now. Um, I'm an Eagle Scout, just as full disclosure, and so I was I was in Scouts from, uh, let's see, probably in the late 80s to about 1996 or seven. so it is about eight years, probably like 89 to 97, somewhere in that, that range. But um, yeah, I was pretty active when I was a teenager, really enjoyed Scouts. 
<laughs> and aside from this story, Scouts is tremendous. It does a lot for young people um, and it does a lot for the community. And it teaches kids values. It really does. It's a, it's a really good organization. But I hate that <coughs> a 110-year legacy of the organization is being attacked uh, because of some bad actors. And I'm not minimizing what happened at all. It was it's absolutely horrible. There was eight thousand people accused of sexual assault against young people. Horrible, and it just it kills me to think about it. And I just I just there was an interview I watched today actually with an older gentleman. He was probably in his fifties or sixties, um, and he was talking about his abuse when he was a, a youth. And you know it's just horrible to, to 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 I mean, hurting kids is like the evilest of evil in my mind. You know it's just so. Uh, I hope that we can uh, punish some some people that are still around that have been, you know, that, that committed crimes that actually are guilty of the crimes, and I hope that the scouts can kind of emerge from this. But I don't think they're going to be emerge unscathed. You know, it's it's could be a permanent blemish on scouts for all time, and I don't know what's going to happen. But I just hate that we have that association. You know, because once you have that association, not just in that case, but it sticks with you. It's just like marketing. Um, like when I say Penn State, for me, when I hear Penn State, I think of Sandusky, who was the coach that was accused and, and convicted of um, abusing kids. And then when I hear Virginia Tech, I think about the shooter at Virginia Tech. Um, and so it's those associations are not fair, but those are what happens. You know, people associate them with those things. So. But yeah, I hated that story. I hated that, that it's gone down like that. So, and, you know, <coughs> it almost ties in what you just said too, because um, I own a business and I know it takes a lot. It does your maintain your rep, yeah. Reputation. So here's another one: <coughs> the boy or the employee that took a bath. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I've had employees that were, you know, went unethical and unprofessional, and I just had a horrible outlast. Yeah. And I, I have to be able to overcome it, but you can go into business. If you personally can own the business, right. do all the things ethically correct for your employees and your customers and yourself, and just keep one. Yeah, and you can't watch employees 24 7. You just can't. They're, I mean, and when they do something, on your property and they're acting as your agent, it, it, it falls on you and that's, it's horrible. Um, there was a, I'm glad you brought that up because there was another case. Um, oh man, I was just thinking about it when you were talking about the case where somebody was doing that. The, the actually people doing something similar to that has it's been more than one case of people doing that. But, oh, what's that? Uh, yeah. What's that? The Burger King footless thing. Uh, the footless thing? Foot, Burger King footless. Apparently, someone thought it was a bad idea to post a picture of them in shoes stepping on the less. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, not good, not good, yeah. But um, 
I wish I could think of the other thing that I was thinking of when you brought up that case of, you know, professionalism and people that are acting on your on your behalf because it could you know you could do everything right like you said and kind of unfairly be caught up in something like that. It was about reputation and um, it can it can shift overnight and get out of your control before you know it. You know and then there's the worst are these accounts where they do go viral and the media picks it up and all of a sudden you've got a major PR crisis and our media showed up at your door and it's like, you know, what did I, what did I do wrong here? You know, I just, yeah. Right. And then I think, wow, so those employees, okay, they lost their job. That's it? Yet this owner could possibly lose. Or face legal legal challenges, yeah, all kinds of stuff, yeah. Um, that's really that I mean there's this saying in business that you make money when you buy. And because think about it, if you buy your clothes at a too high of a price, um, you're not gonna be able to make a profit. So you make money when you buy and uh, you avoid Many of the HR problems when you hire, if you have to, if you hire the right person, and I like that idea we talked about last week about a 90-day trial period, and at the end of which we have we have a sit down. If it's not working for either party, we just separate and, and no problem, uh, because you really don't know somebody until you spend some time with them. I mean, they can look good on paper, they can offer you a great elevator pitch as to why they'd be a good fit for your organization, but. You just don't know until you spend some time with them and see how they're going to work out and how they're going to fit within your organization. So what else is going on? Any other news I want to throw out there? I'm sure some other stuff will come up if you can't think of anything right now. How are you? I'm not you doing good? Good. My sister got married yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that's excellent. That's good news. Why didn't you share earlier? That's news. you got to share the news. So. All right, well, we jumped into Chapter 5 um, last Thursday just to get it started, and I'm going to kind of pick up where we left off. This chapter was, is about ethics, corporate social, uh, corporate responsibility, and sustainability. What do, we talk, what do we say these things are again? What are ethics? Morals. Morals, the understanding what's right and wrong. What is corporate responsibility? Environment's part of it, right? But also taking care of the community in which you exist. Um, corporations, uh, their main reason to exist, a business's main function is to make money. That is, that's the only, that's the sole reason for a business to exist. But you find that that reason alone is not a good reason when it comes to communities. I watched a great documentary yesterday. It's called American Factory on Netflix. It won a uh, Oscar for best documentary and um, it was about a factory that closed in somewhere in Michigan I forget the, the exact town it closed in but this GM factory closed and then a Chinese company Fuyao came in and bought the factory and turned it into a glass production factory to make windshields and panels for vehicles and they were trying to they brought over a few hundred Chinese workers to train the Americans on how to produce 
this glass and how to run a production line. Um, and it was really bizarre watching this unfold because uh, Americans and Chinese are very different types of workers nowadays. When we went through the Industrial Revolution, it was all about productivity, 100%, not about personal safety, not about benefits. Um, and so for Chinese workers, they're kind of in that mindset where it's all about production. We don't care about the individual. We don't care about your time off. We don't care if you get hurt. Uh, we were all well about production. This is, this is what we're, we're here to do. And American workers, in this, the way they portray this film, they're about production too, but they're also about benefits, time off, that kind of stuff, you know, quality, uh, a safe and quality work environment. And so there was this uh, kind of friction that existed. And if we get a chance, I'd like to show it in here because uh, I think it'd be a good one to show, especially since it's a management class. Might try to work that in in a couple of weeks, but um, you saw this thing about social or corporate responsibility taking place because this corporation came into the community and it wanted to uh, offer the community labor, you know, 2,000 jobs where people could work and uh, you know reap the benefits of having this income. But you also saw where they were kind of using that community as cheap labor, it's like, well, you don't have any other options, so their pay was a lot less than they were used to making. I think the average pay was $14 an hour for a high-impact production job. Keep in mind that some of those jobs in the past were paying like $40 to $75 an hour, and so $14 an hour is really not a great wage for doing that type of production work. Um, but yeah, corporate responsibility deals with understanding what the needs of the community are beyond the profit motive for the business. And then sustainability, this gets back to the environment, not completely, but we don't want to just use and use resources without being mindful of how we can preserve resources because if we just continually use raw materials and resources, they're eventually going to go away. Has anybody seen on the news where these big holes will open up in the earth? What do you call those things? It's like Sinkholes, yeah. Have you seen these sinkholes opening up where they're just all of a sudden the earth will collapse beneath something and it'll be like a 50, 100 foot drop? You know what that's from? Anybody have an idea? Yes, you're exactly right. So the big, I mean, both are correct, but um, specifically with regards to water, companies will come in that use water as a resource, and it could be a pesticide company. When you buy bug spray, it's a, if it's in a liquid form, 98% um, of the bottle is water. Only about 2% is the chemical. People think it's all chemical, but it's really mostly water that you're buying when you buy bug spray or chemicals like that. Or detergent, when you buy detergent, a big chunk of that content in the container is water. Uh, it's not, you know, soap. It's not 100% soap. It's a big chunk of it's water. And... Um, when you buy a soda pop, think of, you know, you buy a Coca-Cola, the contents of that can is mostly water, alcohol, beer, things like that, mostly water. And so, and then when you buy a bottle of water, um, did we watch a documentary about Nestle in here? If we didn't, I, I showed it in another class last semester, but Nestle is the largest bottled water manufacturer in the world. And they will go into communities that have water resources and they will buy the right to, to, to use that and then they would just start taking tens of thousands, millions of gallons out of this community. They'll put it in a plastic bottle and sell it at a 3,000% markup because they're paying 
three cents a gallon, and then they're they're charging, you know, an exorbitant rate for bottled water, um, and so, yeah, yeah, but it causes things like sinkholes, it causes water depletion in uh, areas that need it, and so they've actually actually went to a community in Africa that was struggling where people were having to walk to get water, and they they made an agreement with the tribe to say, we're going to go in and we're going to do this, but we're going to set up a, a section where you guys can get water from, from this too. But it wasn't as good a deal as they thought because they still had to walk a long way, cross a major highway to get to the water resources. And um, so sustainability when it comes to corporations and businesses is about what can we do to not take all these resources and just deplete them to a point where it's critical to the ecosystem, to the environment, to the, to the community. And so these are things that businesses need to be looking at because talking about reputation, you can easily get vilified if your business is doing these types of things. If you're going in and clear cutting forest and not replanting and things like that. That's why, I mean, that's the reason why businesses do these initiatives. It's not because they care so much. Some of them might, but it's to maintain their rep. You know, when they get called out for carbon emissions, oh, okay, so you're mad at us for carbon? Well, let me tell you about how we're trying to neutralize that, and we were aiming towards a, our goal is a zero carbon footprint. Or if you're mad at them for taking water resources, oh, you're mad at for that? Well, let me tell you about how we're trying to recycle water and make it so, you know, they, they won't be so depleted. So, All right, but getting into the chapter, this we only covered a few slides last time. We talked about ethics. Um, involves how we act, live, lead our lives, and treat others. Um, our choice and decision-making pr processes and our moral principles and values that govern our behavior regarding what is right and wrong are also part of ethics. Ethics are not black and white. They do evolve over time. People change. People change the way they view things. You don't know everything at any one point in your life. I don't. By the way, I've viewed several different things has evolved over time. I used to be pro-death penalty as an example. I thought, if you kill somebody, yeah, they'll put you to death. And my, my stance on that has evolved over time, simply being that we do not run a perfect criminal justice system, and we have put people to death that were found innocent after the fact. And I think that is a horrendous, horrendous thing to do if we kill somebody that was innocent of a crime, and therefore my stance on death penalty has evolved. And so, you know, if you have a different opinion, that's fine. But that's where I'm at on stuff like that. And, it's, and you know, you, you look at these ethical dilemmas, and they do evolve over time. You know, uh, you get new information. Uh, you, you get new perspectives. You learn new things. And so you should be able to have a fluid viewpoint where if a compelling argument and good data is presented to you, you should be able to be open to change. Normative ethics refer to the field of ethics concern with our asking how should and ought we live and act. Business ethics applies ethics that focus on real-world situations and the context and environment in which transactions occur. How should we apply our values to the way we conduct business? So businesses have policies and procedure manuals. I know Tricia has one. When I was at Walmart, we had a way of doing things, you know, and every day I, I had to make business decisions and I, had, I, was get, I was put in ethical dilemmas. If I side with the customer in this decision, I am honoring satisfaction guaranteed, which is our mantra, but I'm also going against what the current direction of the corporate policy is with regards to like a return. 
I've had customers bring me returns that were obviously abused return, like abused products. They, they didn't take care of them. And you're thinking, well, <laughs> I'm not going to take this back because obviously it's, it's junked up now. But if I do that, the customer's going to throw a fit, you know, and want to talk to the store manager. The store manager doesn't want to talk to anybody, right? <laughs> and so I'm in the position of, do I take the return and just make this go away and maybe take the heat from, from it for later, or do I let it escalate to the store manager or let it escalate to the district manager? And you better believe the store manager doesn't want it to escalate to the district manager. They don't want any involvement from outside the store, if, if at all possible, because that kind of stuff just really is, rubs the district manager the wrong way. So you have to make these decisions. You have to, you have to understand what does the policy say, what does the what is um, the company's current direction, and what is your personal ethics with regard to all this? And sometimes you can't reconcile that. If you're in a company where you feel like your personal ethics don't agree with the corporate direction, you might not need to work there, right? If you know for a fact that the product that you produce at a company causes harm in some way, and you can't jive with that, you can't sleep at night because you realize that hey, there's a harm being done here. You probably shouldn't work there. Your, your conscience is telling you to get out. We also talked about this briefly. This is where we left off. Descriptive, normative, and analytic. Uh, descriptive, different societies have different moral standards. The, the example I brought up was child marriage. You know, it used to be kind of a norm in this culture, right, where when you were 14, 15, you got married, you went out on the prairie and had a little house and a farm and you know, yeah, that was a norm. That was a norm. And today that seems so foreign and nuts, you know, but that was a norm for a long time. But in other cultures, uh, getting married at a young age like that is still in practice. Uh, but as the world develops, um, more emphasis is placed on education because education, I believe this, equals opportunity. And as, and this is not a sexist thing, but as women around the world enter the education scene because for a long time in our culture women weren't a part of higher education at all. It was all a man thing. But as women in developing cultures uh, enter education, there are some cultures now where young women are not allowed to go to school. Isn't that crazy to think about it? But as women become more educated, they get married at later ages and have less children and they're able to focus their time and efforts on uh, business, on society, on work, and doing things that they believe matters. Um, there's a book I read last year about this called Factfulness. Really, really good. It was part of the Presidential Reader Series, and it talked about the key metric for humanity is um, childbirth, basically, around the world. And as we see countries being developed, the number of children per woman goes down. So, um, and because a uh, number of reasons. Uh, back in the day, it was a normal thing to have five or six kids because infant mortality was high, meaning that you could expect one or two of those five or six to die before they hit age five. Um, but as we have gotten better with medicine, as the infant mortality rate has gone down, as women have entered the workforce, childbirths have gone down, and we see that pattern happening not just in developed countries but in developing countries where as women get more educated, as uh, they enter the workforce, they start having less kids, and uh, because and healthcare helps keep those kids alive longer, and so infant mortality goes right down, child birth rate goes down. Um, normative 
this this action is wrong in this society, but it's right in another. What's something that we can think about that might be normative? <clears throat> something that might be wrong in one society, but right in another. The first example that came to mind was it's a tribe of, I believe they're Native American, but they could be Latin American, um, but they eat peyote as a part of their religion. Has anybody heard about this? It's a it's a hip it's a hypnotic drug. It's uh, derived from like a cactus in the desert. I don't know much about it, but um, in our society, like the laws say, that's not you know that's not right. But in their society, even the kids will drink. They they make a cocktail out of the peyote. It's kind of like acid, and everybody will partake of this cocktail, even the kids to some degree, and they will have a religious service as a part of this. But you know, in our society, we would look at that, oh, my God, they're giving kids drugs? What are they doing, you know? But in their society, this is a normal thing that's been going on for quite a while. And so morality is relative in the analytic. What do you think about that? Is morality relative? What do you, what do you mean by no? Right. Right. So you're saying that there are some absolute truths, regardless of where you're at and the society in which you're existing in at the moment. And there's some lines that should never be crossed. So, okay. Anybody have any other thoughts on that? Okay. Um, next slide, we're talking about ethical dilemmas. You just brought that up. That's great. Um, I've never seen a single episode of The Simpsons, by the way. Has anybody watched The Simpsons? No. No? I've never, I don't know, like, why I could never get into it. I just... I don't know, I just, not for me, but, you know, no disrespect to the Simpsons, I'm sure it's good, but, um, so ethical dilemmas, these are these situations and predicaments in which there's not an optimal or desired choice to be made between two options, neither of which solves an issue or delivers an opportunity that is ethical, often originates and occurs from an unawareness of how to sort out and think through potential consequences of our actions or inactions, becoming aware and conscious of our values as a first step towards being able to act ethically and responsibly in order to prevent or lessen harm to ourselves and others. The first example that came to mind for me when I was reading this was there was a company that I was reading about this week that knew that it was in financial trouble. They knew they had misappropriated some funds. I don't know if the funds were stolen by management or from a third party outside the company, but they knew that they had been, they had been robbed, basically. And rather than face the music and tell their clients, you know, we've lost your money, they continued to operate and continue to bring in revenue and kick the can down the road, hoping that, I don't know what they were hoping was going to happen. They eventually had to file for bankruptcy. Charges were filed. It's a mess. And so in these ethical dilemmas, they were probably weighing, should, if we tell, we'll have to face the music and we could get in trouble and there's going to be all these things that can happen. But if we don't tell, 
you know, maybe we maybe things could be all right. Maybe we could delay, give us more time to figure something out. I don't know. But we face these ethical dilemmas pretty often in our life. We just don't think about it. You know, like, um, what's, um, what I'm thinking of, what's, what's something that you think is an ethical dilemma that you guys face? Having to choose between two things that may be kind of gray area if they're cool or not to do. How about texting while driving? Go ahead. Cheating on tests. Funny you bring that up, buddy. No. Nah. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think both those are fine examples. Um, yeah, cheating on tests. Like, there's an episode of Saved by the Bell. Anybody ever watch this show back in the day? Episode of Saved by the Bell where Zach Morris, the, the lead character, he stays up all night long writing the answers to a test on the bottom of his shoes so he could just cross his leg and look at the test answers. But by the time he gets to the test, he's actually studies because he's took the time to write all the answers out. And so he doesn't have to look at his shoes because he's, he's learned it. But he still gets in trouble because he's got it written on his shoes, but he realizes he doesn't need to look at it. So his defense is, yes, my intention was to cheat, but since I did the studying by writing out the answers, I didn't have to cheat. And so that was an interesting episode. But with regard to texting while driving, that's a pretty common and ethical dilemma thing we do in our daily lives uh, or at least some of us do that you really are putting people at danger you know when you're flying down the road at 50 miles an hour you're basically in a torpedo you know aiming towards other cars there was a case that I saw the past week where a man was texting while driving and I don't know if he's at fault but the claim is that he's at fault but he killed a couple's teenage son. He was 17 years old. And um, he was, it was confirmed that he was watching a video on his phone driving down the road. That's confirmed and not disputed. But the dispute in the lawsuit is whether he crossed the center line to hit this kid head on and kill him. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty timely ethical dilemma because, uh, <clears throat> I mean, texting is not wrong, but texting or playing on your phone while you're driving, you have a moral responsibility to be safe, not only for yourself and your passengers, but also for other people that are on the road. You know, So that's, I think that's a timely example. Well, something else you could think of that might be an ethical dilemma where we, mm, you know, we might... might Yeah. And they would Yeah. And write down an IOU? Yeah. Well, no. They, uh, they wouldn't. They just, when they got back from lunch or whatever, they would have stopped by the ATM and pay it back. Right. My, my thing is, and this is actually a situation in a textbook as well. Right. One of my textbooks. But the textbook actually says, technically, it's not stealing. It's borrowing. I disagree with that completely because your company hires you <coughs> on the basis of, of handling, trusting you to handle that money respectively and, and right, yeah. You're taking it without asking them or letting them know that, hey, I'll pay it back. You just take it, leave. Nobody knows what can happen between the time you leave right. the lunch and they might end up having something happen and they do a quick uh, yeah. audit. 
Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a very, that's a fine example of an ethical dilemma, sir. You have something else? Uh, It's a minor, yeah, it's a minor one because you're thinking you're doing something out of the kindness of your heart, mm -hmm. but at the same time, some type of compensation would be nice. So there is a there's a little dilemma there, you know. I can see that. But the main uh, takeaway from this is that we do face these ethical dilemmas in our lives pretty often. We just may not realize it. But um, I'm trying to think of like I'll have students uh, for me an ethical dilemma is students that want to turn in late work, like. I've put out a precedent that we don't take late work, and when students ask me, can I turn this in late, it puts me in an ethical dilemma because here I am saying no to the other 99% of my students, and this person's asking me for making an exception for them, whereas other students don't need that exception. It puts me in an ethical dilemma. That's one that I face as an instructor. Go ahead. Right. The assignment was due tonight. Oh. I remembered it on the 11th. I hurried up and went in and submitted it. Right. And I'm sitting there, and Cheryl, how can you do that? Because you already know. I mean, as many times as she has said, no late work accepted, I'm putting her in a position where she's got to make an ethical decision. Right, yeah. Do I expect her to approve and grade them? Sure. Yeah, it happens, you know, I mean, um, I had an assignment due in my doctoral program, and it was due at midnight or before, and I had wrote, it was a five-page paper, and I had wrote it prior to going on vacation, but when I got back from vacation, I reread the assignment, it was actually a 10-page paper, and I only had five, and I needed five sources, so I got five pages done in about 90 minutes, and I found five sources, and I plugged them in, and I got that paper turned in, but yeah, I mean, but uh, like, there's ethical dilemmas in every job. Every situation is going to put you in a situation where it's like, uh, you know, what should I do here? And um, this, this is meant to, to shed some light on that struggle that you'll have as a manager. And the funny thing was, <coughs> our chapter that we were covering that week was ethical. Yeah, ethics. right. Yeah. Like, we're doing this now. <laughs> um, talking about terminal values and instrumental values real quick. Terminal values are desired goals, objectives, and end states that individuals wish to pursue. Instrumental values are preferred means of behavior used to obtain those goals. An example of terminal values at, uh, at a higher level are freedom, security, pleasure, social recognition, friendship, accomplishment, comfort, adventure, equality, wisdom, and happiness. Examples of instrumental values are being helpful, honest, courageous, independent, polite, responsible, capable, ambitious, loving, self-contained and forgiving, meaning that those last examples are meant to enable the end goals of the first examples. So if you are a helpful, honest, courageous person, hopefully it will result in you achieving freedom, security, pleasure, social recognition, those types of things. Basically saying that if you're a good person with good goals and good objectives that stays positive and moves in positive directions, those, that'll lead to positive outcomes. 
more, t- more often than not. Bless you. <coughs> so let's talk about uni- utilitarianism versus universalism real quick. So utilitarianism, um, a consequentialist, the ends justifies the means approach. See which one of these you guys are. The utilitarianism principle basically holds that an action is morally right if it produces the greatest good for the greatest number of people. An action is morally right if the net benefit over cost are greatest for all affected compared with the net benefit of all other possible choices. This, as with all these principles and approaches, is a broad in nature, is broad nature and seemingly rather abstract. At the same time, each one has a logic. So once again, utilitarianism means the whatever is best for the most is probably the best approach. Universalism is a duty-based approach. It's a principle that considers the welfare and risk of all parties when considering policy decisions and outcomes. Also needs of individuals involved in a decision are identified as well as choices they have and the information they need to protect their welfare. This principle involves taking human beings their needs and their values seriously. It's not only a method to make a decision, it's a way of incorporating a humane consideration of and for individuals and groups when deciding a course of action. So utilitarianism, meaning the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, versus universalism, we consider every individual as sacred and we consider their thoughts and feelings in the decision-making process. Which one do you guys think you fall under? It's not a right or wrong answer. It's really, what's difficult is it really depends on the situation. Yeah. The situation approach, in my opinion, because I've been in both. And the person who's like, oh, wow, they made that decision. Right. Didn't kind of consider, you know, I'm just throwing this out there, like, I'm a mom with kids. Sure, yeah. Right. Well, the utilitarianism really applies thinking like government decisions. So if the government comes out with a new policy that affects everybody in the United States, it's going to affect some in more severe ways than others. You know, like if they create a new tax plan, um, some people are going to be penalized more than others from a tax standpoint. Others are going to benefit greatly from it. And so that's but it, it's just saying that their thought process in this was the most people will benefit. Maybe that's their thought process. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like they're thinking about what's going to benefit me and my buddy versus everybody else, you know. But, uh, but universalism is we consider every case as a unique case, every individual, every thought, every feeling, and we want to make sure that we don't cause harm to those individuals through our decision-making I think it really depends on, like Tricia said, the size of the organization or the size and the scope of the decision because um, a simple example from a universalism standpoint and a utilitarian standpoint is, and I like this example, I've used it before, what are we having for supper tonight? It's always a struggle, right? So I've got three kids. I can satisfy two, but never three. I can satisfy two, but never three, depending on what we want to look like. If I say, hey, kids, we're going to Wednesday, Wendy's, Ava, yay, Bella, yay, Jack, no. You know, if I say, okay, kids, we're going to McDonald's then, Jack, yes, Bella, yes. Ava's like, ah, oh, you know. And so, yeah, that's a normal thing to do. It doesn't matter what you say, two out of three will agree, one won't. Sometimes all three won't agree. So 
Then I had a, four, a third thing in here, which is the Bradshaw dictatorship, which I decide, and y'all just get on boards. But, <clears throat> yeah. But we, my wife and I, we try to, and I, I keep telling her, like, I don't know why we keep doing this. We try to have a universalism when it comes to decision-making on what we're going to do for supper, you know. But it often breaks down because we can't reach a consensus. And so that's when the utilitarianism kicks in. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, this will do the least amount of harm because it'll be the least amount of, amount of griping. And, you know, eat, hopefully you'll like something to eat and you'll eat something, I hope so. But, yeah, I mean, my kids, uh, when you got kids, you know, you know if you have kids, they eat all the time, right? And so it doesn't matter what you feed them, I mean, because they're going to be hungry in 30 minutes. So, all right. Any Sure. Right, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. When I was growing up, I got the gift. Sure. But there was this, this new thing where... Well, little goodie bag, yeah. yeah. Goodie bag, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like I turned into presents. Yeah. So I, I thought that was an interesting concept that I, that I didn't agree with. And then um, also the... And again, this could sound controversial, and I'm not meaning for it to, but the participation award... Right. Um, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not a fan of like just generic awards really. I mean, you know, just just not a fan of those and um I don't know, this is kind of, this is a little controversial what I'm going to say, uh, but cuz I, I have I have conflicting viewpoints on it, but my daughter's in the beta club now and I like the idea of beta club, but I also don't like the idea of beta club because I think it puts a lot of undue pressure on young people. Um my daughter had a straight A average going into this year, and she got in the beta club. But then the first first or second semester this past year, I think second semester, she made straight Bs. And I'm like, well, straight Bs is still a good, good report card, right? And I'm like, you know, but she got put on a warning because of that. And I'm thinking that's, but I, I didn't even want to tell her because it would destroy her confidence, right? <clears throat> so her next report card, she got two As and two Bs, which is really good. You know, I'm like, oh, that's great, but but. Like, I mean, she has to maintain A average, so I don't know if she's going to get kicked off or not. But that kind of stuff bugs me. You know, it's like, um, you know, the, 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 if you look, if you look at motivation studies, which I have, um, when you give somebody some type of extrinsic reward, it motivates them a little bit. But when you take something away, it destroys their morale. It just, I mean, like if they start off here as a baseline, they might pop up to here when they're motivated through extrinsic rewards. But if you take it away, their motivation goes way down. I mean, it's just, I just don't agree with, with that kind of stuff. So so it's a little, I have conflicting views on that, and hopefully she won't be demotivated because I'm trying to already set it up. Look, if this thing doesn't work out, don't worry about it. Um, I was in beta club. I actually got kicked out of beta club too because my GPA dropped below the threshold. I was like, you know, whatever. Um, so the principle is grounded in both legal and moral rights. Let me see if. Um, hang on a second. Legal rights are entitlements that are limited to a particular legal system and jurisdiction. In the United States, the Constitution and De Declaration of Independence are the basis for citizens' legal rights. For example, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and the right to freedom of speech. 
Uh, moral and human rights, on the other hand, are universal and based on norms in every society. So we have legal and moral rights, legal being assigned by sovereign governments, moral being assigned by those inalienable rights that we have as human beings. Justice has at least four major components that are based on the tenets that all individuals should be treated equally. Justice is served when all persons have equal opportunity and advantage through their position in office to society's opportunities and burdens. Fair decision practices, procedures, and agreements among the parties should be practiced. And punishment is served to someone who has inflicted harm on another and compensation is given to those for past harm or injustice committed against them. Justice, and all these are very philosophical things. Even though we can define what legal and moral rights are, we can still dispute some of those. And the same thing with justice. Um, I guarantee that I can get any judge across the United States to step in this classroom if I could and ask them, is the justice system just? If I ask them that question, and I feel like 99.9% .9 of them would say, not always. Because our justice system is an evolving experiment. And there is, there is some atrocities that occur. There are some unfair things that happen. There are some amoral things that, that happen. But yet we continue on and strive to do the best that we have to work with through our constitution and justice system. And it's not always going to be fair and right. We, do, we have put people to death that didn't deserve it. We have imprisoned people for some of my consider minor crimes. You know, I think 70% of the people, and we, we incarcerate the most criminals in the world, and I think 70% of those that are in jail for drug-related crimes, not saying those are minor crimes, but I am saying that they're not crimes of passion or violence against another human being. So um, I don't condone drug use. It's not good for you. It's, it you know, could lead to some people getting hurt or, or dying. But I think we need to rethink that system a little bit. Um, it's not only a burden on the individual and families, but it's a burden on our, our infrastructure having to support over 2 million uh, convicts. So um, we'll take a time out here for today. We'll leave off on virtue ethics and ethical relativism, and we'll finish that up on Thursday. If you guys have any questions, let me know. Um, I did move Chapter 5 to be due Friday, which is what we're on right now. So if you want to be working on Chapter 5, that will be great. If you do anything in the meantime, just shoot, shoot me an email, okay? All right, guys, appreciate your time and attention. See you Thursday. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well. Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College.